you're gonna get free this time we think that the, that the enemy is outside of us or we think that we're blaming other people. But it, it says here, and, and I remember it so specifically, that truly it's coming to terms and facing ourselves. And that's not an easy task when decades of living self-centered, selfishly, have not only, you know, destroyed really important relationships in our lives, but also, you know, yeah, those who we, you know, love the most. What's occurred is in recovery, part of the path is to, is to be willing to become rigorous and honest. And as I've been willing to do that and found the humility to allow the spotlight of honesty and, and authenticity and, and truth shine into my soul and in what was the darkness of my soul when, when this process first started, I found that, that it has been the path to freedom. Welcome to this episode of Shri Ponya's One Breath Podcast. This is a special one. My dear wife, Jennifer, and co-founder, my partner in life and in the work that we're doing with Shri Ponya, and I sit down together and begin to discuss what we thought was going to be our personal journey of recovery and life before we met and life together as a married couple. I'm not quite sure how it happened, but as I recall, Jennifer offered a magical question that just expanded and exploded our conversation into the dilemma we face as a collective and then our opportunity for healing and recovery of our humanity of our brother and sisterhood, of our walk with this earth to find healing, to become contributors and stop the consumption. So stick around all the way to the end. I don't think you'll be disappointed. And Jennifer, thank you so much for sitting down, for asking those magical questions I love walking in this world with you. First, I just want to start by thanking Sue and the team at KWSO for allowing us to use this space and um, the prevention team at the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs and the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs for just the, the, the ability to be present on this land. Um, I just just was thinking, you know, I was coming back to, to meet with you and I was thinking it wasn't long ago, right? 500 years ago. What what Turtle Island must have been like when, when the European settlers first arrived and not a single paved road, just this incredible beauty mm. of nature just 
running wild and mm-hmm. abundant. And um, that 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 the people of the tribes of Warm Springs and the other clans that were here in Oregon, how they must, how they lived for thousands of years in harmony with nature. You know that how how they were just these incredible stewards and carried that wisdom in their beingness. So, yeah, I just. I'm grateful to be here and to have the opportunity to sit across from my beloved and <laughs> on the first day of January, 2024. 2024. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I, since it sounds like I get to be the, uh, that I'm going to be interviewing you. So, you know, our, our nonprofit that we co-founded together is all about recovery. mm yeah, and in many forms. Yeah, and I and it's interesting because I looked up the long ago. I looked up the definition of the word of what it means to recover, and it is to return to a natural state of mind and body, mm. or reclaim something that has been lost or stolen. Mm. Wow, that's really powerful, Jen. That's uh, because that applies to so many things that are occurring in the world and to so many people in the world. Yes, I loved starting with the lived experience, right, that that we carry within our own mm. bodies that um and so 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 tell me um about your journey to recovery and and how you ended in the rooms of, uh, you know, the 12 steps of AA and um, what it was like, what happened. And then we can start to talk about what it's like now. Yeah, it's interesting because we sit here, we, we started Shreeponia uh, as a result of our own lived experience of addiction, alcoholism, you know, and and then the uh, all of the behaviors and destructive patterns that come along in life as a result of the substances we begin to put in our bodies, and that's the traditional. I think that's a, a real common kind of understanding of what recovery is, and there's so much beyond that because. It didn't take long, uh, Jen, for me to 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 like have the obsession for the substance I, substances I had been putting in my body that had just taken over my life. Um, to be like for that obsession to be gone, but the patterns of the way I had learned to live still existed. Can I, I want to ask you, do you mind if I interrupt you right there? No, not at all. Um, so I, I'm kind of wondering, is it, is, did the patterns come first and then the alcohol was the medicine or was the alcohol what created those dysfunctional patterns? Oh, brilliant question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt the answer to that for me 
is that the behaviors, the patterns, the philosophies, the psychology that I had adopted, the belief systems, all of that stuff, uh, the, the way I was domesticated and raised in my uh, family of origin. And I'm not critical of my family of origin. It's, it just occurred that way, that when I, when I took my first drink, it, it was medicine, definitely medicine. And it was medicine for quite a long time. Yeah, it, you've shared with me that you did grow up in what you would you would consider a violent household that your that your dad did exude violence. Great love, great love too. Mm-hmm. But that there was also um Well back in the day we didn't consider a violence. You know, people you if if you misbehaved and did something you were spanked. <laughs> was it you just know? spanking? Well, yeah. Um, usually there were instruments involved, but yeah. It was... Yeah. Well, it's just interesting because, you know, we both watched the wisdom of trauma. And when they interviewed some of the inmates that, that uh, you know, that had been punished by their parents, they were punished by the use of a bullwhip. Mm. which was what was used in slavery. So it's it, it, it we when we know better we do better. Mm-hmm. But again, that's what part of the awakening process is is that what it was like, you know, what it was like and the the correlation perhaps of what caught, you know, cuz they say in 12 steps that the alcohol is but a symptom and that we have to get to the root cause. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you've, you've shared with me, you've struggled with attachment issues your whole life. Yeah, Is I right, right out of the DSM-4. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had a therapist tell me, or share with me the, the, uh, the diagnosis would have been attachment disorder. And the root, yeah. I've seen that with the root cause of alcoholism and even you know narcissism and, and other mental illness is uh, attachment disorder mm-hmm. so that there is some disruption in early childhood that um, you know that that contributes to that seeking mm-hmm. relief. So what were the behaviors that you would say prior to alcohol that that really led you to needing relief? Uh, I, I was, I think I was born with kind of a wild hair up my ass and I was born into a family that had very rigid beliefs and, uh, requirements for behavior in order to be okay in that, in that setting, right? In that family. And, um, you know, I can remember when I was pretty young, we were sitting around the, we called it the eating area. It was just a great big room. Um, it was called the eating area, not the dining room, because it was a big picnic table with 12 of us <laughs> around, around the picnic table uh, for dinner. And my dad was just, I remember he was having a kind of a really bad day. And I, and I was 
you know, a smart ass enough to say, you know, what's your problem? And he looked at me and he said, you're the only problem I've got. <laughs> and I've learned that, I don't know, I was just, you know, there, there's always been this edgy disposition that I've carried. I've been a contrarian to just about everything that I've bumped into. And it was, and, and underneath that, being contrary to things and in re, like rebellion, I would have preferred to have been a revolutionary because with revolution, there's love, but rebellion is just anger and rage. And that's what I felt when I was young, is I felt such a resistance and like an anger and a rage underneath everything that when I found alcohol, and I can remember the first time I, you know, drank to the point of relief of it feeling like medicine, that it, that it really was. It just alleviated. I was happy. I was, you know, it was life couldn't have been any better. And it was like that for quite a long time, you know, with my friends and things like that. And then I came, then I, then I had an experience when I was a junior in high school. So I, so I, I started drinking when I, I, my first time I was 12 years old, uh, and then drank through my sophomore year in high school and then had in my junior year in high school, I had a, like a born again experience and was kind of introduced into, a a, a faith-based community that, you didn't drink at all. So I didn't drink at all until I was close to 30 years old. And during that time, I was diagnosed with, <laughs> you know, uh, with depression. Um, I, it, life, was, life was not the, the peace, love, and joy of Jesus that I was hoping to experience. I, I didn't experience that. And... Uh, so when I was 30 years old, started going to, uh, started uh, becoming part of a faith-based community that it was okay. I, I can remember the pastor of the, this church we started going to took me out for my first beer. It was like, oh, I forgot how good this really feels. And it was just a slow progression into it being medicine to then it became you know, what? It, what is it? You take the drink, and eventually the drink takes you. And over the course of time, I didn't have the choice of whether or not I was going to drink or how much or what was going to happen as a result of my drinking. It became an addiction and, you know, devastated the relationships in my life um, for a long, long time. Yeah, you've shared with me a little bit also about the devastation to the family, your your first wife, Cindy, and mm -hmm. the children at the time, and the pain that it created. Um, and it's not uncommon as I'm sitting here across from you and, you know, we used to joke when we first started dating that between us we had 
five divorces. Mm -hmm. Two alcoholics and five divorces. (laughs) What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I guess that's where when, you know, speaking from one alcoholic to another, that once the medicine kicks in, and then there are behaviors that the addiction then takes over mm-hmm. and whatever will provide instant relief, instant gratification. So, you know, what is it they say that um, you've hit a bottom when your rationalization and justification can't go as low as your morals, but mm. you keep kind of dropping your right? You got, oh, you know, and that's like infidelity, right? You just drop, oh, you know, you just keep dropping your mm-hmm. your sort of morals until you arrive at a place where you're completely spiritually bankrupt. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I guess blame seems to be a big issue. Blame and resentment not seems it's is a big a big obstacle for an alcoholic to get sober because somehow the disease takes us to a place so we don't we're, you know denial is part of the illness because they don't even know even though it's n okay don't even know I'm lying but denial because you know to face our to face ourselves that's and it I'm sitting here with the red road of well-priority mm-hmm. um, next to me. And thank you, Greg, for turning me on to that. <laughs> it's like the next book after the the big book. Mm. Um, but denial, you know, the biggest, we think that the, that the enemy is outside of us or we think that we're blaming other people. But it, it says here, and, and I remember it so specifically, that truly it's coming to terms and facing ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's not an easy task when decades of living self-centered, selfishly, have not only you know, destroyed really important relationships in our lives, but also, you know, yeah, those who we, you know, love the most. Mm. Yeah, before I started drinking even, uh, God bless my mom. Yeah, I was about 24 years old and entering a career in sales, financial services. And I remember getting hired and then coming home because I never lived in our hometown after I Two days after I graduated from high school, I was gone. Um, but coming home, I'm so excited about this opportunity. And my and my mom listened as I told her about you know all of the exciting prospects and possibilities. And she looked at me and she said, uh, "Wow, Greg," she said, "I'm I'm concerned for you." I said, oh, "You don't have to worry." I'm, you know, you've, you've given me a good work ethic. I, you know, I know how to do this. She said, that's not what I'm worried about. That is not my concern. She said, 
I'm concerned you're going to become so successful that you'll lose your heart and you'll lose your way. And, uh, you know, at that point, of course, you can hear that these days it that goes pretty deep. And I said, oh, Mom, why would you say that? And she said, Greg, of all my children, and I'm the oldest of a large family. And she said, of all my children, you're the most selfish. And that was during, that was before I really began to drink on purpose, you know. Um, and I look back on that and I thought, and at the time I was just so offended. <laughs> I was so offended um, because I thought I was living a good life, you know, and, and, uh, and I look back on that, 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 that willingness to become vulnerable. And while I was so offended and wanted to defend, justify, and rationalize my life up to that point, uh, and couldn't see it, wouldn't see the, the, that underlying self-obsession and that selfishness. What's occurred is in recovery, part of the path is to, is to be willing to become rigorous and honest. And as I've been willing to do that, and found the humility to allow the spotlight of honesty and, and authenticity and, and truth shine into my soul and in what was the darkness of my soul when, when this process first started. I found that, that it has been the path to freedom. That instead of being offended, I think of those words uh, that day, and uh, those words from someone who was fierce enough to love me well, you know, when the time was right, those words were the beginning of cracking open a hard heart, and the darkness that had become part of the way I've lived, you know or had lived up to that point. And it was the beginning of light beginning to shine and honesty and freedom. And to be in life uh, walking without the shadows, or as I'm sure there still are and they'll be revealed. And the beauty about walking this path of recovery is that as things are illuminated, you know, the light shines into one of those shadowy places it's a very similar, I, let me put it this way, my, my initial reaction, my default setting is to be resistant and deny it. And then, just like the, the love from my mom, and you've been a light that shined into my life, Jen, often. And, I, my, and you know this about me, <laughs> that my first reaction is to resist and to deny, to shut down the conversation. And then the beauty and the gift that I believe I've been given uh, that many of us in recovery find is that willingness 
to let the light of those words or the sharing into my heart, into my mind, into my soul, and reveal the truth of what's going on underneath. And then be willing to get right, you know, to let spirit, to let God, to to allow myself to really find the humility for transformation and change. And it's been that way for years. Um, I don't know if in this lifetime I'll ever get to the point where if you share something with me that just offends the shit out of me, that I'll be willing to say, oh, thank you, darling. I'm so grateful for you being willing to tell me the truth. (laughs) That might not happen. But what does occur is that the that the light of truth shines authentically into my soul and i find my way to freedom yeah i I, i'm thinking about uh what it means to form a true partnership and you know having had individual recovery and then you know meeting one another and you know, having the history of, of five divorces together. And, uh, and then, you know, we, we saw quickly in our relationship the behaviors um, that probably were the underlying root causes that were driving the alcoholism. Again, you know, the you, mine being the fear of abandonment and yours being the fear of engulfment, mine being betrayal and yours being oppression, Mm -hmm. that um, these wounds, Mm -hmm. um, if we turn toward them, like Rumi says, right, that that, that's where actually the light gets to come in and that's where we do get to have a, a psychic change that not only is something that is in our minds because for years for you and me as we were walking through trying to form we had the heart desire to form a true partnership but our actions were not congruent with our heart's greatest desire because these behaviors like alcoholism had become so deeply rooted in our automated nervous system right so Mm -hmm. it's flight flight freeze yeah I'd fight, you'd free, you'd flight. Yeah. You know, so until, until, you know, I guess I, similar to, to you do the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result is insanity. Mm-hmm. That's the definition of insanity for us folks in recovery is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Mm-hmm. And first it happened individually with alcohol, and then it happened as we come together to form a true partnership. The behaviors that continued to create a breakdown, which would be blame, anger, denial. Uh, we would get breakdown. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 thankfully, and I, I think both of us having the willingness to walk, to really have our 
whole beingness say yes to 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 turning our life and our will over to the care of a higher power i think is why we're sitting across from each other today mm. without that willingness to have the humility to say i can't god can i'm going to let him you know or however that appears basically an ultimate and complete surrender mm. that's what was required to change the behavior for me i didn't know life beyond alcohol i didn't know what was going to be on the other side and then that was what was required to even have a shot at forming a true partnership mm. with you and i i'd like to i'd like for you to share because you're a white boomer man <laughs> <laughs> and you know we we you and i just got finished listening to you know um an update from a a um presidential a climate, candidate well and a and a and someone who's an expert in climate mm. um and 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 really the allow you know the the alarm sounding and i think you know part of the gift of our personal recovery and I, you hear me say it all the time i thought that being an alcoholic was the worst thing that could happen to me it turns out it's the best thing because it gave me humility to realize that there's a higher power in charge and it's not me and that relationship with the higher power gives me the strength to turn toward the greatest fears my greatest fears and uh, lean in and uh, look for a solution, not live in denial, not live in blame, anger, resentment, right? We learn. And so I, I'd like for you to share how you bridged, because a lot of people, they may do their own individual recovery but that's as far as they go. And I'm, I'm wondering, I'm just curious to ask you, while the time that you have left, how do we recover as a collective? Wow. Those words, with the time you have left, that is some sobering shit at 68 years old. <laughs> And, you know, I, I want to come back to that, but there's something kind of bubbling up, kind of rising up for me before we get to collective stuff. I, um, and, I, and I'm really looking forward to that part of this conversation because that's the other aspect of recovery that's so far beyond an individual putting down a drug or a drink or destructive patterns of behavior. That, that includes us all, and, and I do definitely want to come back to that. And what's occurring for me right now that I'd like to maybe shift the lens a bit or turn the mic, the direction of the microphone to you, because I've walked with you. I've known you for five years, like five years in a month. I've known you since October of 2018, but I think we went for our first cup of coffee on December 8th 
of 2018. And, um, and, uh, and I have... I have been witness to some of the most um, powerful and profound transformation in a human being that I've ever experienced. And I have, you know, walked in, even with all of our breakdowns, all of the stuff that we've walked through, what has been consistent, Jen, is your willingness to seek the highest, to seek love, and to live into love. How the hell have you done that? Because it's been so consistent, it's been unwavering, that we've been, when we've been in breakdown, you've been the one that has consistently held, really held the vision for our partnership. Um, where has the power come from for you to walk this path of like radical transformation radical love and radical forgiveness where did that come from definitely has come from turning my life and my will over to the care of of God and um, you know that that is a personal journey for each individual, um, and that expression and that relationship—I mean, that is the one thing that I'm most grateful for for my alcoholism and for my recovery—is my relationship with a higher power that continues to change and evolve every day, and I am finding so much resonance in um, in the red road um, with I was talking with someone just the other day here in Warm Springs about creator being in everything and everywhere and um, and I also just remember you know I'm a huge fan of Bob Marley and the song love is my religion and just feeling that love, that connection to love, and that the only, it's so simple, the only purpose for my being here is to love and be loved. And I think after my second divorce, I had a realization of what a gift it is to be able to actually love someone in the beloved, beloved relationship or in, in, a, in a marriage, in a committed marriage and saying, I'm going to love you the best that I can the rest of my life. Like that that is a gift to be able to give love, to be able to have somebody to love like that, to have someone that you can love like that not how that person's going to love you, mm. that it's a gift to be able to love somebody like that. Mm. And I never, I still to this day, don't know that love because we haven't been challenged. We, we have, I guess we've gone through difficult. You just asked me that. But I mean, I, I'm, you know, when, um, 
you know, I, people who have sat by the bedside mm. of someone who's dying of cancer or dementia for 20 years mm. or walking through alcoholism with somebody. I, you know, I didn't have the capacity to do that I, for, for sickness or for, no, it, it was, it was all, even marriage had become a self-seeking, uh, transactional way of being mm. in my life. And, um, yeah, so there, there was something in me and, and also there was a time in my life <clears throat> in my recovery that I was, and, and actually, you know, I think that we go through many cycles of death and rebirth. And there was a, a, a memorable time where I was done my best <clears throat> and, and God spoke to me and said, you know, you're not done yet. I still have work to work through you. And so I'm here because of, mm. and I, <clears throat> and the sun rises in the morning and I, that's why it kind of coming back full circle to, because I feel like, I feel like you and I are secure in our love to, for one another. And so like recovering <clears throat> individually from alcohol, um, I've discovered who, who am I, you know, mm. who I am I. And I see me and you, and we would, you know, when we would have breakdown, I tell you, you we're non-different. You would be blaming me, and I would be like, you're no different than me. Blame really stunts our spiritual growth. And now it breaks my heart, honestly, as a collective. I was wanting, talking to you about the collective issue, mm -hmm. because here we are January 1st, and I... I was struggling. I mean, I was struggling last night and with wishing people a happy new year. And it's it's kind of odd, but I, I'm re, as I'm sitting here with you, I remember my second husband walking out of our family. You know, just walking out, leaving. I didn't know at the time he was leaving. I thought he was going to be back, but he texts me, "Happy Fourth of July." as he's walking out the front door. It was so incongruent. And I understand that it was his childhood trauma and his best way of dealing with, you know, his his childhood trauma. He ended up leaving, right? He never came he never came back. I feel the same way in saying happy new year. I feel that it's incongruent. I feel deep deep grief. Um, for where we are as a collective. And, you know, I, again, I'm sitting here with the Red Road, and I did, I did mark one page. But I, and if you don't mind, if I can read this paragraph, it's page 14. When we look at our families and our organizations, and I think also it goes to our, our country, our nations, our world, we need to understand and look at things as being integrated, interconnected and related. For example, one of the teachings of the medicine wheel says that the honor of one is the honor of all. And if that is true, then the pain of one is the pain of all. 
in an interconnected system because everything is connected. If there is pain anywhere, then that pain is everyone's pain. And I just, <clears throat> you know, with what's occurring in the world today, I feel like, like deep, deep grief. And when we were talking about recovery, you know, another thing that it says in the Red Road is sobriety is sovereignty. Mm. And I, and Richard Rohr, you know, says, and we hear this in the rooms all the time, what we have in the West is not a drinking problem. Mm. It's a thinking problem. And we get degrees and we get certifications. And I graduated top of my class at law school. So I know firsthand, you know, my story, graduating top of my class of law school and going out to work for big corporations during the dot-com phase and living from a thousand forms of fear. And that's where my disease kicked in because it was really what, what society had created, graduating top of my class of law school, spiritually bankrupt, was an instrument that I could manipulate, you know, I, I, it would be a great tool for some self-centered organizations to manipulate me. And that's truly what happens. All we care about in the corporate world is shareholder profits. That's the only thing. It's greed. Greed is God. Greed, is, wealth is God. And we have all sold out to this way of being at the expense of one another at the expense of our climate. And we're still addicted. Now, it's not just alcohol, it's consumerism, right? Mm. Distraction, numbness, denial, blame, anger, wars. They're not necessary. <laughs> None of that is necessary. Mm. It, it's like the alcoholic, you know, and we see that in our road to recovery, right? We start to see the red flags. Oh, I behaved that way. Oh, this person isn't talking to me anymore. It's, but it's their fault. It's their, how dare, how dare they invite me to their wedding? They, you know, it's their second wedding because of course you're too drunk so you don't go to the wedding, right? And it's still their fault. It's, it's, it's always somebody else's fault. And there's all, we all have our stories, you know? And until we are willing to look at our part, and that's what I love in the 12 steps. 10th step says, it's a spiritual axiom. When I am disturbed, there is something wrong with me. Mm. And so until we can learn to own our own pain as individuals, that's sovereignty. As nations, we need to learn to own our own pain. And I'm baffled by Christianity because the only way that I see Jesus is that, taking a stand and embodying and transforming non-love into love to the point where he gives his own life. Like, So it's not saying, hey, you hit me, I'm going to hit you back and actually I'm going to pound you or you know what I mean? It's saying, ouch, that hurt and I'm going to love you anyway because I see that you're non-different than me. And I love in the Red Road, it says we're all indigenous. We all came, we were all indigenous at one time. We've all been displaced. Genocide, we've perpetuated it, you know, and it, it's, it's, 
James, my friend James, Edmund Greeley said, we're all in this together now. <laughs> we're all in this together now. And the people, we, that are in recovery, we need, we, we can't lose our voices. We can't, we have to start speaking truth to power. I, you know, I, I find it really interesting too how people with white privilege, like myself, I'm not, that's me. <laughs> but rather than turning and facing and having these difficult conversations, it's like the alcoholic who continues to drink and puts his head in the sand and thinks that somehow that, you know, he's not fooling anybody. So, yeah, I, it's, a, it's a time where I, yeah, there's, there's got to be a reckoning hmm. and then a season of repair. And that requires humility mm -hmm. and a willingness. And it requires character over comfort. So anyway, I'm asking you <laughs> uh, because it's interesting. I think that, you know, we are seeing the Gen Z generation, the ones that are actually, you know, <clears throat> have different values. And my question to you, when you hear, and it, you know, it's, it is from the indigenous wisdom that I hear, we have to look at what we're turning over to our children and not just our children, but seven generations. And so, do is that the way you're approaching your life and if so what was and you know if not why not and if so then what is it that changed that for you hmm. yeah um i was 13 years old in 1968 and i mentioned that because during that time there was a revolution taking place. And uh, there was like a door opening for a collective shift in the way we lived here on Turtle Island, in Turtle Island, in America. Um, and I, and I remember thinking, I'm living in a time of incredible transformation to, to, to something that felt like it was the way we were intended to be, where freedom was held in a high place. Beautiful self-expression was given place and honor. And a call for us to leave those ways of extraction, colonization, all of, you know, um, like letting go of all the things that had become part of white culture, you know, 
big houses, uh, all the things that started to begin to mean something just during, you know, in 1968, there were riots in the streets and there was a revolution taking place. And there seemed to be hope that something radical was about to happen. And I remember all of a sudden, and it happened in my own life, you know, the words of my mother was to me as an individual, but it was happening culturally. It was like all of this revolution, all of this willingness to turn away from consumption to a, 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 like a better world, for lack of a better term, you know, the brotherhood of man um, and sisterhood of, of mankind that that we had there was an awakening for us to begin to walk more humbly on this earth and in the earth with the earth and somehow it just disappeared it just it was gone by the early 1980s it was completely vanquished that fire of revolution that fire of transformation just went out was gone and I became part of that it going away you know I pursued making money I pursued all of the things that I thought was going to be the way we're supposed to identify as successful people and it's led me person it led me personally into a spiritual bankruptcy and uh, obviously uh, unless you are absolutely in an incredible, hardened state of denial, we have to look at the world we've created and at least say there's something not quite right about what we've created. And so it's almost like within a generation, maybe two generations, the generation I was in and have been a part of was the beginning of a revolution, that that revolution went away and we became what I'll refer to as a huge part of the problem. We became the consumers. We became the accumulators. We became the oppressors. We became the nation that built a a military-industrial complex that's willing to annihilate entire races of people. And there's something occurring with all of the noise, with all of the distraction, with everything that is at our fingertips to distract us. There is something in the depths of our hearts that's beginning to answer a deeper call. And turn toward one another and begin to care for one another. Uh, 
and I learned that in in my path, my individual path of recovery has given me my heart back. It's given me what I felt when I was 13 years old. That we're in this together. Yeah, and I, I coming full circle, um, the lo- and it just I'm also thinking of the the medicine wheel. It starts with the individual, then partnership, individual in the east, and the partnership going to the community and then the nation. Mm-hmm. So the individual needs to heal, but then also the the, the, the community and the nation needs to heal. Mm-hmm. And the way we healed, the way I healed in recovery was through unconditional love and acceptance and compassion and forgiveness. Mm -hmm. These principles of, um, yeah, Greg, me too. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, you did that? Yeah, me too. Mm. And we're going to love you until you learn to love yourself. And I, you know, I, I, I share with you, and it wasn't that long ago that I had a tree cut down that, you know, got in the way of my view to the spillway. It wasn't that long ago that I had that psychology of just thinking of the world from my self-centered viewpoint, even in recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do think, you know, there's like frustration and anger and rage and through all of it is the, oh yeah, me too. So that's another thing from the red road, (laughs) denial, blame, anger. But then what we do with our families, it starts with our families and and spreads outward is we lean in, we lean in. And yeah, we lean in and love. And so that's the invitation because who's gonna face genocide? If, right, they're going to run, who's going to turn in and say, yeah, me too. Mm. You know, and um, just being that takes me full circle to, to last night and being able to participate and be a part of the beautiful celebration of the powwow and some nashu. <laughs> Hope I pronounced that right. I probably didn't. Um, but, uh, you know, the 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 self forgiveness to be able to show up um, and be a part of and um, and then being able to thank thank God what a blessing to be able to witness the beauty of this rich rich culture of the dancing and the drumming and the um, the beautiful regalia yeah <laughs> I mean priceless priceless and so I just feel yeah humbled to be here on this journey with you and so grateful Mm. um, to be able to learn from the people Mm. that we're still a couple of white folks living on the Fringe of the Warm Springs is still invited to mm. share in these beautiful traditions and these beautiful ways. So we get to learn 
Yeah. Well, and those that have gone before us. And we've been willing, or we've had the privilege and the beauty of of people loving us enough to like speak the truth to us. And part of that has been realizing that our tendency as white people is to think we're going to go help someone, you know. Um, and and of late, and I've shared this on the podcast a couple of times because it's become so profound for me because this is part of also in recovery in 12-step mm-hmm. recovery part of our process is the is the beauty and to to take what we've been given and then give it away right it's that is part of our healing it's not just for me anymore however the psychology isn't well i've arrived at some higher place and i'm going to give it to somebody who's in greater need than me that's not the psychology that 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 were encouraged into and i heard i've heard it expressed this way and it's just found its way deep into my being and that is um to share and it'll have to be a paraphrased version of this quote but there was an australian indigenous woman that said if you've come here to help you might as well go home but if your liberation is bound up with mine, then let's get to work. And th- that has been profound for me because it's, it's opened my heart to realize that and, and some of the Native teachers that I have been listening to and learning from is we walk with one another that I live in peace with the earth, that there isn't peace on the earth. It's peace. I, I need to create peace with the earth because part of our dilemma today is we are at war <laughs> on this earth, and we get to come into peace with one another and with the earth. And... There's no more room. There's no more room for us any kind of savior mentality in anybody, particularly white people. We've got to let go of the fact that we are somehow some kind of savior somewhere on the planet when we can't even save ourselves. And that we find the humility to get that we walk with our brothers and sisters of every color and our non-binary f- friends that and, and our four-legged relatives, our finned relatives, our tree people relatives, that we get to live with all of creation and learn how to do it with humility and love and get that we, that, you know, even human beings are not the highest on the food chain. We're the most vulnerable and we're the most fragile because without us, all of creation is going to continue to exist. But if you take away the trees, 
we won't be here. That we, the 12 steps in, in the literature of the one of the 12 step, it, it says we need, a, we need a psychic change sufficient enough to like turn us around. And for me, I feel like I'm preaching right now, but there's, this is so deep within me that it just, it's occurring that, wow, we need a psychic change collectively. I think, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but like for me, what America represents, which once represented freedom for me today, it just, I mean, it represents greed. And um, I think that that is the problem. Um, and, you know, I think that the idea of a successful person being a wealthy person to me is no, that's no longer the definition of success at all. In fact, someone who's a CEO of a corporation making millions of dollars to me is a, is a reflection of the psychosis and the problem that how can you be so disconnected from life itself? And, and, and a lot of times, you know, the greed it is profiting on the misfortune of others, you know, and, and, um, and yeah, so we, there needs to be a place where people can come if they're willing, will they'll be loved and there'll be compassion and an opportunity for a new way of looking at things and a new design for living, which at the, at the, at the heart of it is that there is a higher power and it's not you, and it's not me, and it's not Jeff Bezos, and it's not, you know, it's, no. And how I know that is, they're not making the sunrise. They don't make the sunset. The stars come out at night. We are just one of a small universe and multi-universes. Mm -hmm. And our whole livelihood and ability to breathe air is dependent on Mother Earth. That, you know, when we see things, and that's the, that's the right sizing that. Yeah, what if, there, what, what if simplicity is the most remarkable way to freedom? What if living simply and unencumbered is the path to great abundance? And great wealth, with the with that word wealth being the, the in the highest sense of living fully on this in this earth with this earth and yeah. with one another. And then, and as an alcoholic, having recovered from the disease of alcoholism, we like to label everything in the Western world. But you know, it wasn't it it, it wasn't it didn't take long to realize oh. The, the same man of, you know, what happens when I'm upset? Oh, I go spend money that I don't have. What happens when I'm upset? Oh, I go eat things. Oh, I go create relationships. It wasn't just alcohol. It was a sickness in the soul. Mm -hmm. And one, yeah, so for me, it doesn't take much. You know, you see the the guy with the big car and the wealth to realize or the people with power that are just, you know, big babies 
uh, doesn't take much to realize that that they too need recovery. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, so yeah, I, and there's always an there's always an invitation mm. to turn and and take a heart, take a look in the mirror, and face yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's I think what the journey is about. I love I you know. We've got to, as you say, we got to probably land a plane here, right? We've probably gone long on a couple of white people with the mic, you know, it's like shut the fuck up, <laughs> babble, psycho babble. <laughs> oh, that's that's, uh, that's good, Jen. A couple of white people, <laughs> couple, yeah, yeah. couple like, of white all people sitting behind more words mics. from white, yeah, people. Okay, but wait, I was gonna. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but my, let me get this one last well, it's really important place. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm just quoting, paraphrasing Mother Teresa. But, you know, she'd say something like, um, basically, at the end of it, it's be, it's only between you and God anyway. Mm-hmm. So for anybody who may be listening who hasn't joined the Red Road, mm-hmm. Um, and, and are kind of ready to take, cause even it was Eleanor Roosevelt who said, a, a life, an unexamined life is not worth living. Hmm. So if you haven't taken a look at your own, um, yourself in the mirror and got rigorously honest with who's looking back at you, um, Yikes. there's a call for that now. Yeah, that's yeah. that invitation mm-hmm. is not one that needs to come with fear. And it's not it, we're not talking about alcoholism. We're not talking about the 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 homeless person with the bottle. No. We're talking about someone who's getting blaming others, exhibiting denial or anger. Um rather than love. And I think as a as a collective as a mem- you know United States that we 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 did just uh, support Israel in killing masses of people mm-hmm. um, that how can you not take a look in the mirror even you know you and I are having to look what do we do as part of this country now that is complicit in that or not even complicit but actually supporting that mm-hmm. um, when we when there there are alternative means Mm -hmm. and we like to think there's no other way that's the same as the alcoholic right there's no blame others there's no other way right Mm -hmm. we might get oh well you know what would life be without bombing the shit out of gaza Mm -hmm. well i'd like to i'd get like to get on that road I'd like to have sat down and had a conversation and, oh, well, Hamas won't converse. You know, there won't be any conversation, da-da-da. Well, to me, becoming the monster is not an alternative mm-hmm. anymore. So I better just kind of stop talking, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are a couple of things come to mind um, because I, I agree with you, Jen, that that this – these fixed beliefs of this is the way it's going to be and 
you know, our willingness to perpetrate and and support genocide in the case of in the case currently with what's occurring between Israel and and the Palestinians is one thing and when we came here to these shores, our ancestors came with that same psychology of devastation, of genocide. And we get to recover from that as well. And, um, you know, I've quoted often, you know, one of my, one of my, you know, teachers as a musician and as a poet is Bono and the words of um, peace on earth. He says, they say that what you mock will surely overtake you. So you become the monster, so the monster will not break you. And it seems as though we have a fear that if we approach things humbly and with, oh, yeah, me too, that will be broken. So we've become the monster. And I've experienced that personally in my own life. And we can see that same psychology happening collectively. And, you know, I, I am sometimes reluctant to quote Jesus because Jesus here in America has gotten tied up in some crazy-ass religious bullshit. But Jesus says, come. And I'll teach you how to take a real rest. Come and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And that invitation extends to, it, it extended to me personally, and extends to us in community, in partnership, and it extends to us in our nation and then globally, that we can learn to live in unforced rhythms of grace and be able to sit down across the table from one another and find a path to peace that doesn't have to include annihilating entire groups of people. And that has to begin here. I had a friend tell me one time, you want to end, you want to end terrorism, Greg? End it within your own soul and within your own mind. And that's what we come to. It begins individually. And then individually it gets to ripple out into the world with, with the kind of power that we need right now. We need power right now. But it's not the power of destruction. It's the power of love. It's the power of generativity. It's the power of being authentic, uh, authentically ourselves and then learning how to be the creators of a beautiful world that we know in our hearts we have the opportunity to cooperate with creator to create a beautiful world together we don't have to continue down this road and i think that's what i've got to share today yeah i'm super grateful that we get to begin that um, we already have, and that we're going to be in a home in Madras, and we get to we get to open the doors and invite all of the neighbors in and be in community, which I've longed for. Um, 
and I'm grateful to get to do that with you. Yeah, I, uh, I'm so grateful, Jen. <laughs> and I'm looking at pictures of our wedding at Smith Rock <laughs> with the people that surrounded us. It, I, uh, yeah, what you know, we we've 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 found the humility to be able to come into partnership and into union with one another and continue this path of transformation and recovery. And um, yeah, I'm in and I'm really grateful. Yeah. Well, happy new year. Happy new year to you (laughs) and happy new year to everyone. Guess I can say that authentically now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, Jen. I can only hope that was a stretch for you. It was a stretch to articulate things that just rumble around inside of my heart and my mind these days and speak from a place of authenticity, a place of unapologetic truth. And if you'd like to join Jennifer and I in the conversation of recovery, join us every Thursday night for Sriponya's Healing Circle. You can find us at becomingaheart.org. That's becomingaheart.org. Join the collective. Join us on Thursday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific time as we walk the road of healing and recovery together.